0: Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute.
1: I'd like to share about the leadership of St. Paul. This man's incredible passion and drive changed the church. But like so many great men, he had a past. How did Paul deal with what he had done towards God and God's people? How did his past shape his future? And what can we do when we realize that we too are guilty of doing wrong? How does it affect our leadership? Well, everybody, I want to start uh, this retreat with St. Paul. I want us to really understand the power of his life and of his message. Uh, we've we've looked at St. Peter and spent a long time with him and his leadership. And then the Acts of the Apostles slowly, in kind of like in a beautiful weave, the Acts shift away from focusing in on St. Peter's leadership and focus in on St. Paul. And so we have these two kind of great guys, right? Peter and Paul. The word is spoken through both. And when we look at St. Paul's life in particular, I think we see a lot of the challenges that face us as leaders in the dynamic of leadership, the act of leadership. When, you know, St. Peter, you say the same thing about St. Peter, right? But when St. Peter's leadership really focuses us a lot in on is his character, it focuses us in on how he had to govern an institution, create a systems of government, and deal with with all of that in his leadership. Paul is going where no one has gone before. He deliberately says, you know, I, I deliberately did not go to the churches that were set up by apostles before me. I always went where there was no church to bring a church. So You know, here you really see, you know, an entrepreneurial spirit, right, in St. Paul. Just like an entrepreneur says, hey, no one's ever done this before. Nobody's doing this right now. I'm going to step up and make this happen. Well, you got the same thing happening in St. Paul. There is no church here. That's where I want to go. I want to go where it's the toughest, where things are the hardest. What an amazing spirit. It gets him into trouble. (laughs) Just like it's going to get you into trouble too. I get it. But sometimes maybe you're just like, hey, that's why I'm alive. I'm someone who takes those risks. You, you get into trouble when you start to have kids in a family. It was easy to get married, you know, but once you start having kids, oh my goodness, all heaven breaks loose right in your living room on a daily basis. Yeah. You get into trouble when, when you want to try to actually take a stance for something. I mean, leadership is spoken in many different ways. It's not just in the world of business. But in the world of business, since we're speaking of that, holy cow, do you ever get in trouble? You have a new idea, a new thought. You know, I went recently to uh, the headquarters of Procter & Gamble in Cincinnati. And in the the headquarters of this, they have the museum of Procter & Gamble. And it tells the story of the man who invented Tide detergent, T-I-D-E, Tide. I had no idea about this, but it turns out that Tide detergent has had a huge impact on our society because it allowed washing machines to effectively and efficiently run. And with washing machines effectively running, hours of labor were freed up every day from the work for the workforce for, from the, the people who would have been doing laundry every day. Usually it would have been stay-at-home moms. And they were now freed from that because of Tide. Well, the, so you have all kinds of you know, thoughts that go behind that. But the point is that the man who invented Tide spent years working alone in his basement to do it. His first experiments failed. And so Tide pulled the, or not Tide, but Procter & Gamble pulled the the funding from him. And so he decided to just to keep working at it on his own. And he tried and tried and tried for years. I forget the exact number, but it's something like 10 years, 12 years. He labored without being paid to make this invention and then when he made it of course it changed so much of our society well that's that's an entrepreneur that's a visionary and so so many. it's, it's weird that we think that the church doesn't have anything to say to that spirit when that same spirit is found in this guy named saint paul who goes out there where there's nothing to bring something And a lot of times when you do that, you see, you don't see the success. We talk about all the successes that happen, but how about all the investments that we make that fail? All the projects that we undergo and that we put ourselves into that fail. You know, you put yourself, pour yourselves out for 15, 20 years for a kid and the kid turns into somebody that you're not even proud of. And you say, what, what a waste of time that I gave of my life. Now it's rare that you say that with your kids, right? But sometimes you can be tempted to think that. You, you, you know, you save up for for the house, and things don't work out. The house has a cracked foundation, and then you have, you know, and, and you're, you're you're holding your head in your hand saying, "Why do I even try?" I tell you what, a lot of people end up stop trying. They they just quit. They they say to themselves, "It's not even worth the effort anymore. It's not worth the heartbreak. I'm not going to allow myself to continue to try and have my heart broken." Well, I, 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 this is not a Christian spirit. Why? Because when you do that, you act like success is your master and not the Lord. If success is your master, then when you don't have success, well, you'll go looking for it. And if success cannot be found in the great aspirations and the great goals that you set before yourselves, you'll settle for success in a medi- in, my, in mediocrity. Hey, what does success look like for for you? Does success look like you don't have any problems and you're sitting on your couch? If that's what success looks like to you, then you'll have it. All you have to do is stop trying, stop leading, stop pushing, stop changing, stop believing that this world could be a better place. The moment that you believe that the world could be a better place, the moment you let the fire of God into your heart, that pushes you beyond what is acceptable in the eyes of everybody else, is the moment that you become a leader. You become someone who's an earth changer. You become someone who's fighting for the rights and of goodness in this world. And it's also the moment you're going to encounter incredible opposition. I, I think it's one of the unsung stories of St. Paul's life. The amount of opposition that this man went through For the sake of the gospel. The constant pressure and toil and labor. The not being thanked. The loneliness of his life. Paul's life is the study of leadership. And that's why I want to turn to it with you. And look at what God's word tells us about who he was. Because by looking at St. Paul as he stretches out. As he goes to the new in this world. You have a beautiful. It's not a contrast. It's a. It's just a different side of the coin of leadership. Peter starts by evangelizing, and immediately he has to govern. He has to stay put during persecutions. He has to make the tough decisions that orient the ship, and he's got to focus himself on building the institution of the church. Paul, filled with fire from the very first moment of his conversion. He has to stretch out where no one has gone before, constantly being unappreciated, constantly being unwelcomed. His road is a hard one, just like Peter's, but both show us dimensions of leadership that bring us to understand our own call and give light to how we need to walk in our families, our workplaces, and
0: in our world. Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E ministries.org. And subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today.
1: All right, so let's take a look at where we see St. Paul first. He first comes to the scene at the stoning of Stephen. This is Acts chapter 7 where it says that, you know, St. Stephen the deacon, of course, he preached towards the Jews of the synagogue of the freedmen, and uh, they they dispute with him. It turns out that, you know, no one can dispute with St. Stephen. He's awesome. So they decide to kill him instead. Isn't that typical? (laughs) So St. Stephen's completely right, and he's doing a great job, and nobody, he's like, but they don't want the truth. So they decided to kill him. So they did the same thing to Jesus. They did the same thing to St. Saint Peter. Saint Pe- you know, they didn't kill St. Peter, but they imprisoned him. And, you know, then they beat him. You know, it, it, instead of listening to truth, people will consistently choose to remain in the darkness. Our job is not to convert their hearts. Our job is to preach the word to them. And this is just as what Stephen does. Just is what Peter does. This is what our Lord did. That's what you and I have to do as well. And so what's the response? Well, the response is, of course, that they decide to stone Stephen. And that's exactly what they do. Acts chapter 7, they cast him out of the city and stoned him. This is verse 58. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. So there you have this this scene. The first time we see St. Paul, he's described as a young man. At the feet of whom the men who are stoning Stephen lay their garments, i.e. he's trusted by them. They're putting their possessions, their wallets, so to speak, you know, their garments, he's, he's holding them for, for them as they go forth to do their, you know, what they see as, of course, a God-anointed activity to kill this God-anointed man. So they're completely delusional, but they trust Paul. So what does this tell about it? Well, we know other things about St. Paul. We know that he was a student of Gamaliel. Uh, He talks about this and he boasts even that he is a very devout Jew. He says he's more devout than many of them. And he's a student of the finest teacher in all of Jerusalem. When you look where Paul's from, you know, he's from Tarsus, which is a long way away. It's way up the north. It's outside of Israel. He's from the the diaspora, from the dispersion. And he came to Jerusalem, the capital, obviously drawn for religious reasons. So this is a man who knew God, who loved God, loved him enough to leave his family behind and study under the finest teachers of the law and, and in the center of their religiosity. And he must have been a fine student because when it comes time for this persecution to take place, he's watching what's happening with Stephen. He's a part of the persecution against Stephen. And, and he even approves of the killing by, and, and allows the people, they approve of Saul. Saul approves of them, they approve of him. He's completely wrapped into this school. You're like, Saul, didn't you hear St. Stephen preach? You, you yourself, it says that everybody who saw him saw that he had the face like that of an angel. And they could not, If, if this is for, uh, Acts 6, 15, All who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Well, then why didn't you listen to him? So even though Saul's in the middle of all of this, you know, greatness of religiosity and intense fervor, it's misplaced and misguided. There's a truth that's not there. He obviously does not know what he's doing, which is why St. Stephen forgives him. This is Acts 7, verse 59. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he prayed, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. That's beautiful. Saul, who is part of the killing of this man, is forgiven. First by Stephen. Be the first of three forgivenesses that Saul receives in his life that sets him free. Because this Saint Paul that we all know is going to happen, is going to come to us, is a man who has a past. He's a saint with a past. And I'm I'm speaking to you because I know that if you're anything like me, unless you're the Virgin Mary or the Lord himself, you all have a past. The question is whether or not you're going to allow your past to become your future. And I say that literally, whether or not you're going to allow your past to become your future. Do not be like those who heard Stephen who heard peter who heard the lord himself preaching and refused to accept the truth this great truth that i have for you is that though you are a sinner and you are convicted and guilty of terrible things in your past the lord jesus christ wants to set you free for great things in your future Though everybody around you knows that you're an alcoholic. Everyone around you knows that you failed in your marriage. Everybody around you wants to accuse your kids of being lousy. And therefore you of being a bad parent. You know, everybody around you wants to say all the things that you didn't do. And that you did poorly in your life. Jesus wants you to believe that he can make you new. And in that new life that he can give you. You can take your past and turn it into something that becomes a gift for others. This is the beautiful message of Christianity. You know, I, I was on the plane uh, just yesterday. And as I flew in, the, the, the stewardess, a rare, it's a rare thing that this happens. Most of the time, I mean, I'm dressed as a monk, right? Like Just like you see me here. I got a rosary, a belt. I'm wearing a full habit of made of wool. I've got a hood. You know, I mean, I'm a monk. I'm not a real monk, you know, but I'm, I'm a I'm a monkish figure. You know, we live a monastic lifestyle. We wear the monastic habit even as we go preaching. And so I, there I am on the plane with my sandals and everything. And the stewardess actually says, can I speak with you? And I said, sure. And so she, she you know, she kind of crouches down there right in the aisle and she says, tell me about why you're dressed this way. And I told her about the Lord Jesus Christ and his love for her. And this stewardess, it was amazing to me because she actually believed that she was God and that I was God <laughs> now no one really believes that because it's just kind of a so they have a redefinition of God what she was trying to say was that you know she never was not a Christian she was uh never she was raised Buddhist and, and but for her perspective that like everybody was sacred everybody was beautiful life was wonderful and everybody was just you know a sparkle of God and that that's you know and I thought to myself, you know, I told her, well, you know, that's a wonderful thought, you know, but the beautiful thing about Christianity is that we're not God and that God loves us and makes us his friends precisely because we're not him and we get to receive him like a spouse receives her spouse. So we get to receive the Lord and give ourselves to him. And of course, it's a bit one-sided in that he's infinitely infinitely good and we are not, but that's the whole beauty of grace. And as I said that to her, she said, I've never heard this before. And it dawned on me that what she was really doing was looking for God in the same way. But instead of accepting that there's evil in the world and that I have caused it, her way of being was simply to deny the evil in the world. And instead to say, in fact, we're all God. We're all good. She so wanted goodness that she denied evil. The fact is that we, we we would do the same, but what do you do when you can't deny the evil? If because of your sense of truth and justice, you say to yourself, I am in fact the cause of evil in this world. Well, what you do is you get depressed and then you give up and you say, I just don't want to try anymore because I've knocked myself out of the ring. I know that I'm not worthy to stand. I know that I'm not worthy to preach. I know that I'm not worthy of doing great things. So I won't even try anymore. My friends, this is where you need to meet the Lord Jesus who says, my son, get up and rise. I have paid the price for you. Will you not stand and proclaim the glory of my name and the beauty of my grace? If our pasts proclaim The glory of sin and the slavery that we've had to evil we don't have to deny them to proclaim christ we can say and our god is bigger and when we do that we set the captives
0: around us free too father nathan has founded the saint john institute the mba program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind visit our website at SaintJohnInstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ.
1: You know, when we look at the life of St. Paul, we see a, a saint with a past. We see a saint that doesn't deny it. I mean, look, look at his past. This is Acts chapter 8. Right after he watches a man be killed and he approves of his, his murder, it say, says, and this is uh, Acts 8.1, and Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Beautiful, remember, the beautiful thing about the apostles, remember we talked about this with St. Peter's leadership, we said St. Peter held the course, in the midst of the persecution, he stayed, 12 apostles stay, but everybody else gets scattered, scattered by whom? By Paul, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. He will later on go on to say that he persecuted the way unto death. And in, 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 verse, in chapter 9, it's, look at 9 chapter 1, or verse 1, it says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his, his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. St. Paul in the pit. That's an incredible thing. St. Paul was on his way to do a terrible deed when he met the Lord. Remember what it says here, right? He was going through arresting men and women. So this means he was breaking up entire families. When you arrest the women, you're also therefore taking mothers away from children. St. Paul was orphaning families. Did they end up on the streets? What happened to the kids? How many grandparents were inconvenienced? Suddenly, you know, oh no, Billy got arrested. Oh no, Sarah too. Billy and Sarah are in prison. What? What about the kids? Well, they're left right there. Grandma and grandpa running over to the house, pick up the kids. Now grandma and grandpa's got to take care of the kids. I mean, how much that throws off what's going on here. How many Christians were dispirited? How many Christians turned away from Jesus and denied him because of what they were undergoing in the prisons? And this is all because of St. Paul, this man full of hatred. And you could say full of hatred because he was breathing murderous threats. And later on, like I said, he he actually said, I persecuted that way unto death. This was not just a, a timid man who did wrong. This was someone who was, who was fiercely opposed to the church of God and for no good reason. Remember this. He, th- he could have whatever thought he had in his mind, but Stephen's argument remains unchallenged. Saul, in his heart, was not even honest with God because had he been honest with God when he heard the truth, he would have allowed himself to be troubled by it. But instead, he won the esteem of men And they laid their garments, which means their wallets, all their possessions right there at the feet of Saul. He watched over them. These were his friends who were persecuting Stephen. He chose relationship over truth. How many times we do the same thing? And yet, and how many times because of that, we say that we're not worthy of religion. We're not worthy of Christ. And and then you got St. Paul who did did the same thing. And allowed that to seize his heart so much that he goes around busting up families and then imprisoning people. And when he imprisons them, remember it says, he takes them bound to Jerusalem. So there's force involved in this. Bound to Jerusalem all the way from Damascus. That's a three days walk along the road. Imagine handcuffing folks, wrapping their hands with, with ropes and then leading them for 3 days of hiking he had, must have had guards he must have had you know armed forces of some sort they must have beat them up mistreated these people poorly all because of their faith in Christ and their proclamation of a truth that he wouldn't even listen to this Saul is not an admirable figure this Saul is a man who himself is a slave And whenever we give ourselves over to sin, we become a slave to that sin. Sin does not free you. It might give you power. It might give you possibility. It might give you the chance to, you know, whatever. A new bass boat, I don't know what's going to give you. Good feelings, fine. It'll do so at the one single price of your freedom. And when you realize that, and like St. Paul, you spend your time blind, laying in a room here in Acts chapter 9, Verse nine, all by yourself, neither eating nor drinking. Saul was left with his thoughts. It's amazing that God doesn't go and heal him right away. He leaves him there for three days. So Saul can really realize just how broken he is. And many of you right now, you're feeling that way. You're listening to my speaking. You're saying, that's me. I got nothing to stand on. I too have sold out i sold out my, my principles. I've sold out my character. My wife's not proud of me. My children aren't proud of me. My husband's not proud of me. I got nothing. And you're just like St. Paul laying there. You can't see where to go. But what you know is you neither wish to eat nor drink. Some of you wish that even you could find your way out of the whole scenario. You're right with St. Paul in the pit. And you know who else is there? Jesus. And he's getting ready to set you free. St. Paul is a saint with a past. And that past is real. And Jesus wants him to take that past and make it a proclamation of the glory and the grace of his mercy. And he's about to receive it three times. He's going to receive it from Stephen who forgave him. He's going to receive it from Ananias who comes to baptize him. And he's going to for- receive it from St. Peter and the 12 apostles himself. But what he receives, he never denies. The beauty of mercy is that it doesn't ignore sin. The beauty of mercy is that it transforms sin. And the beauty of mercy is that God wants you also to be transformed in your sin. To acknowledge it. To own it, and then to let God use it to proclaim the beauty of his mercy,
0: which is what Paul will do for the rest of his life. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.